Would you like to live a happier, healthier, and more fulfilled life? Cultures from all over our planet have been addressing that concern for thousands of years, and their answers can help you in your life today. Welcome to The Sweet Spot, where healing, spirituality, and culture meet. Join anthropologist and healer Robert Better as he introduces you to healing and spirituality in world cultures. Here's the host of your show, Robert Better. Welcome, everybody. I'm here today with Jana Johnson, who I've known for some years now. Jana is an American who left the United States in 2012 to move to Bali. She spent almost six years there and then moved to India. While she was in the States, especially when she was in New York, she trained as a psycho-spiritual counselor. And in the States, she had a personal journey that went from her healing to doing healing work with others. And that was all done while she was still in the corporate world. She then moved to Bali and immersed her life in the spiritual practices there and then immediately began as a guide with people on their own personal journey of healing and spiritual exploration. Um, that continued when she moved to India, which is where she is right now, where she's calling in from. And in the future, she's planning on bringing back the in-person explorations. So those of you who feel so inspired, you might consider in our post-COVID pandemic, going to India in order to spend some time with her there and learn in that environment. So welcome to the podcast, Jana. So nice to see you and have you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Happy to have this conversation. Wonderful. So let's jump right into it. So let's start with a little bit of the backstory. So How'd you get involved with all this healing work? And let's start with that. Let's start with while you were still in the United States and sure. your personal healing journey. Sure. Well, I think my story um, has similarities to a lot of people who are doing healing work and that, that kind of archetype, uh, archetype of the wounded healer in which many people start out with their own personal healing and then as you kind of progress in that, there's this desire to help others. You know, if you, you kind of get to this point where it's like, if I can heal, I know there's other people out there who are suffering who can also heal. And if I can help with that, then that's, that's what I'd like to do. Um, and so I think that was kind of the natural progression. I started with my own, with my own healing, you know, seeking out um, different uh, holistic ways of, of healing, um, looking into different traditions, some straight psychology and some more, um, I think I always had a little bit um, of an interest in more of the spiritual traditions and, and kind of the alternative ways of healing. Um, so that, that was really where my interest started. And then as I got deeper into that, um, I just found it so fascinating and it just naturally led me into doing my own studies um, and eventually in 2002 I had been in New York I'd moved to New York in 1997 9798 and um, went through a big breakup in 1999 and then when I was in New York over 911 
And it was after that, um, that I really was having some strong uh, energetic experiences and knew I needed to get some help. And so that really led me to uh, learning about Helix, which is the program that I eventually went to the four-year program. Um, that was a, a program for therapists mainly who wanted to work in a more holistic realm. So there was psychology foundation, but on top of that, spiritual disciplines and metaphysics and all kinds of uh, wacky stuff that was brought in. Um, and so then that was really kind of what started that journey on, on working with others. What was the name of the program again? Helix, H-E-L-I-X. And unfortunately, it's no longer... Uh, running we were the last class we graduated in 2007 and we were it's a four-year program we were the eighth class so it ran for a long time but then um we were the we were the last class to actually graduate and when you say spiritual traditions what what specifically was involved in that program yeah so in helix we had i think we had maybe eight or nine different teachers and there was no dogma taught. There was no, you know, um, this is the main thing we're gonna talk about. So I would say through those four years, um, South American shamanism was big and uh, Buddhism was big. And then beyond that, beyond kind of those modules that were every year, we also learned like science of mind was something that I really got into. Um, there was one teacher who had studied that a lot. And so that was something that really interested me. Um, we learned, you know, a little bit about Taoism. There's Christianity brought in, Judaism. It was kind of a mixture of all different things. And then what we were most interested in, we could kind of do our own continued study in that. But every year there was definitely shamanism and Buddhism. Those were really core kind of tenets. So what was your personal modality that you continued to study in it? Well, for me, I loved the energy work. And so shamanism had a lot of that, the way we were taught. Um, and I also at the time was really working with my intuition and, um, and doing some voice channeling at the time. And so one of the teachers who became my kind of, for 10 years, she was my teacher, my probably my first teacher in New York, um, she worked with me a lot on that. So I, a lot of people went into it to be counselors. I never wanted to be a counselor, but I knew that the work that I did always brought people to a very vulnerable place. And I knew I needed to be able to hold that space properly. Um, and so the psychological foundation was really important to me, but when I actually, cause we had to do a lot of uh, student sessions, you know, they wanted us to start seeing people with peer supervision right away. Um, and so I always focused on energetic work and intuitive work. And while you were still in New York, you were, you were working one-on-one -on -one with other people. Yeah, I was, I was working corporate during the day and then on the weekends and some evenings, I would start to see clients until about 2009 um, when I was laid off. And that's when I really started to focus on my healing practice in the city. 
but I always had to do some other freelance work to sustain myself, you know? Um, and so, yeah, that's, I started in about 2005 seeing people one-on-one. -on -one. So great. So now let's, um, if you had to sum up what you learned from all of that experience with Helix and that teacher that you described, what, how would you sum it up? What, what for you yeah. is the process and the transformation? That was a huge, huge, huge transformational time for me, those four years. And Julie Winter was my teacher. She's still in New York. Um, and I think what it was during that time. So I was, I think 33 when I started. So 33 to 37. And it was like filleting yourself, letting all the guts come out, looking at all the guts, and then choosing which you're going to bring back in. But you had to see it all before you decide how you're going to put it back in. And so it was, you know, my, uh, my mom died during that time. She died right in the middle of it. I had a um, new relationship during that time. Like there was so many different things that were coming in um, for me to be working with and diving really, really deep into my own stuff. And that's, that was the big piece of Helix is how it really, the focus was um, for you to be grounded and for you to be able to identify your own issues so that when you're with others, you know, how, you know, you know how to discern, okay, what's coming up for me and what's actually their stuff. And so that was probably still to this day, I have so much gratitude for that real strong foundation of identifying your issues and being really, really grounded in all of your work. Hmm. Well, when you describe being ground up, it, it reminds me of the, the classic description in um, world shamanism of symbolic death and dismemberment. Yeah, 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 definitely. Great. So let's talk about now what led you to moving to Bali in the first place, because that's the part that we're really going to be unpacking. Yeah as to how change and transformation take place by living in a completely foreign land. So let's go, let's go back to that time of that first impulse to move to Bali. Yeah. So I, it's a story that I tell all the time because I just remember sitting in New York city. And like I said, I'd been laid off. So I was focusing on my healing work, but I was having to do this freelance work as well to keep myself sustained. And I was sitting in meditation and I would get these messages or these kind of nudges of like, you need to leave the city. You need to leave the city. You need to leave the city. And I was like, okay, well, you know, where do I go? And for some reason I got Bali, Mexico, Hawaii, Brazil. It was like these four that kept showing up. Now I had been to Brazil briefly. I had been to Mexico a few times um, I'd been to Hawaii once. I'd never been to Bali. And I thought, well, Hawaii, that sounds beautiful. I'll, I'll think about going there. And so I started to talk to people about Hawaii. But then I was seeing clients during this time. And it was like four people in a row came to see me. And they'd be like, have you ever heard of this place called Ubud Bali? 
or they'd be like, I just came from Ubud Valley. Have you ever been there? And finally, I had one girl who came in who was living in Ubud. Now, mind you, I had never heard of Bali before this. And I had one girl who was living there. And finally, I was like, okay, I get it. <laughs> I get it. Bali is the place to go. And so after I did the session with this uh, woman, I asked her if she would have coffee with me another time and talk to me a little bit about Ubud. And so she did. And I knew that that was, that was where I was supposed to go. And a year later, I literally, I had a breakup. And the first thing I heard when I knew what the breakup was happening was it's time to go to Bali. And I bought a ticket. And then I looked at the map to see where Bali was because I literally did not know. And then I was gone within four weeks. I packed my life in New York City up into two suitcases, put the rest in storage, got on a plane and headed to headed to Ubud Bali. And by this time, the girl who had been living there had moved back to New York. <laughs> wow. And when you left, did you intend to stay there or this this was just a visit? I'll be honest, I had no idea. I was in a pretty bad emotional state. You know, at this point I was 43. Um, and I was just like, I don't understand what just happened. Uh, and I thought, you know, I, I didn't really know. I thought maybe I'll stay six months. I didn't know anything. I didn't know it was Hindu. I didn't know anything about it. I just knew it was a community of people who were doing healing work a lot. And so I, I thought I'd try it and then maybe I'd have to come back to the US. I really, this was really like, when you say you leave on a hope and a prayer, that's really what it was, mm. literally. So you get to Bali and yeah. <laughs> are you living in a hotel? Or are you staying in a, an ashram? Yeah. No, I'm staying in a little, you know, motel, homestay kind of thing. Walking at this time, Ubud was still relatively small. This was in 2012. So it had been developed a little bit, um, but it was still relatively small. There were still dirt roads in some places. And I was really like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing here. I mean, I just came from New York City, 15 years in New York City. And uh, I got there and I was really working out my things uh, emotionally, but the one thing, and I was really angry, I have to say, I was really angry at the universe for the position I was in. But the one thing I was able to do is I sat every day. And although I couldn't really meditate on anything, I just sat and I would say to myself, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. And it was during that time that after about a week, I started to get this little kind of uh, nudging in my field. And so, so Bali is a Hindu island. So Indonesia as a whole is, um, is Muslim, but Bali has retained its autonomy as a Hindu island. And so I didn't know anything about Hinduism, really. I, you know, I dabbled a little bit but I didn't know anything about it. And when you get to Ubud, it's, it's their life. Like it's, it's a culture. It's not even, you know, religion per se, it's a culture. And so you're bombarded by these images everywhere of Hindu deities and there's constant ritual going on. 
And so that was going on all around me. And I started to get this kind of nudging in my field. And I knew it was the elephant God. I didn't know who the elephant God was, but I knew it was the elephant God. I come to learn that at that point that it was Ganesha. And he, and I kept saying, you know, what, what am I going to have to do to like, is it okay that I'm even here in this land? Because, you know, with my shamanic up, you know, background, like you ask permission to even be on the land. Right. And, and I was like, I, I just don't know what to do. And, and I kept getting this nudge that there is something you have to do, you have to do. And I'm, and I was like, do I need to make an offering? Is there a template? Like, what do I need to do? And that day, um, or one day I went to one of the cafes and the waitress was chatting with me a little bit. And she said, oh, have you ever been to Teacher and Pool? I was like, what is that? She's like, it's a, oh, it's a famous water temple. It's where you go and you get blessings. And immediately I was like, oh, that's what I need to do. I need to go, I need to do a purification and ask for blessings to be on this land before I can start my work. And that's what I did. Um, and that really started to ground me at in in Bali. And you know, this is one of those things where you and I have had a little previous conversation about the land. Like, how does the land affect you on this journey? And yeah, so like let's, this, let's pause for one moment there, Jenna, because yes. I, what I'd like you to do, if you would, is to take that idea and blow it up a little bit for our listeners so that yeah. they know that how important that is and how they can use that in their lives. Yeah. So for me, you know, I was raised Christian in Minnesota at about 18. I, you know, kind of stopped going once I left my home, I really never went to church again, except maybe Christmas or something if I came home and I really had a distaste for religion. And so um, there was this kind of aversion to Christianity as a whole. And as I kind of went on my own journey, I started to read about different spiritual traditions and stuff. And so, you know, I, I was open to learning about how, how do other people think, you know, how, what does that say? Does that, how does that give us information about who they are with all these different beliefs. And so when I landed in Bali, I would say I'm, I was quite open-minded. Like I didn't have any aversion to Hinduism. I didn't, I wasn't afraid of it. I was curious about it, really curious about it. Like I loved the sculptures and this um, symbology and everything. And I think because um, I was open to it, and because I'm a pretty energetically sensitive person, that's why I, why I was able to have that kind of connection. And it does take, I think, it does take a willingness to, to be open. You know, if we follow the, um, the idea that energy flows where attention goes and you place yourself on an island that for how many, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of years had been in this kind of devotion to this system, like that energy manifests, you know? And so if you drop yourself into that energetic field and you're open, like you're, you're going to feel it. You're going to feel it. Even though I didn't know anything about Hinduism, 
I could feel, I knew it was that elephant God that was nudging me, you know, like why? And I've had this experience before when I, the first time I went to the Philippines, I went to Palawan and I went to Puerto Princesa. And right before I went to the Philippines, I was kind of looking at, I was going to this, to work at this um, little vegan uh, resort place and um, a retreat space. And so I was looking at Puerto Princesa, like, what, did, what can you do there? And I kept getting this picture of um, the cathedral there. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll go to the cathedral. We'll see. And then I got to uh, Puerto Princesa and I was there for a month. And every day, almost every day, I'd wake up and I'd get that thought of you should go to the cathedral. I, was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. And the last day that I could possibly go, I went. And when I went into the cathedral and sat and meditated, I had Mother Mary and Mary Magdalene come into my field so strongly. And I really have no connection to them at all. But again, because I was in that environment and there's so much devotion and because of, I think my energetic sensitivity, it's like, it just, it affects you. It affects you, you know, it's palpable to actually, um, feel that and if you're open to it you work with those energies I mean I've had many experiences where those energies have then come to me and and help me for either some kind of clarity or even some physical issues um, because I was open open to that possibility so let's let's put this into a formula where we're kind of getting towards the end of interview one and i'd like mm. to i'd like to formulate this for our listeners so in your personal experience to go from being living in the united states living in new york to having this pull to go to bali and then to get there and have this very personal experience with the land leading you to this, how would you put that in a formula for somebody who, let's say, has lived in a place for their their mm -hmm. life, maybe done a little bit of traveling, and they're open to uh, personal exploration as it connects to place? What do you do? Yeah. What do you do with all of this? Well, I think I think the most important thing is you can't force it. So. I think you have to really be able to feel what feels right for you. Like I went, the first time I went East, I went to Thailand and Cambodia. And I remember walking through the Buddhist temples and not feeling much and thinking, this is weird. You, I would think that I would feel a lot here, but I didn't feel that much. But then when I went to Mexico, I felt a lot when I went through the ruins there. And so at that time, I think it would have been probably, I would have been more susceptible or receptive to healing had I stayed in South America. But then it was quite a few years before I actually left for Bali. And for some reason, there was just a pull to that area. So I think the first thing that's important is if you think about, if you've traveled, like where did you feel most comfortable? Where did you feel that pull? Where, you know, did you feel like this kind of feels like home or I feel like this is, you know, and it may be someplace weird <laughs> that you weren't expecting it, you know, rather than, oh, I should, it should be, you know, 
in Angkor Wat in Cambodia, or it should be in Tulum at the ruins. Like, I think you really have to go with what, how your body feels in that space. Because I think there is some kind of genetic DNA, something, even if it doesn't show up in your 23andMe, you know, DNA listing somewhere back in time, there's some connection to that land. And then when you get to that land, what do you do? I mean, you gave the mm. example of that water ceremony, but yeah, you don't always have that luxury of of going of finding out from somebody exactly what the locals do. So what do you do? Yeah. With, what do you think? Well, but but see, if you trust in the universe, <laughs> uh -huh. it will lead you. It will lead you. I wasn't asking anybody for that information, you know. I was just led to this cafe and started chatting with this waitress and she just spilled this information. And that to me is purely the universe doing its magic of getting me the information that is best for me. And so, you know, if you're going to go someplace, I think it's, I think you can go to the places that are popular um, because those, even those touristy places may lead you to something that's really authentic. Mm -hmm. You know, those, those tourist places became popular because there was something there at some point and it may be over commercialized now, but at some point there was some energetic vortex there. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think it's wrong to go to those places, but it's always, if you can find a more authentic, um, you know, or a place that's maybe not as popular, um, it's a little bit, uh, you might find a stronger connection where you, where you get one-on-one -on -one attention. I think that's, that's really key. Um, I think in healing is, is that you need a person to guide you. <laughs> you need a person to guide you. And we, particularly as Americans, like to, we can do it ourselves. Um, and to a certain extent, yes, but I really do believe that uh, it's important to have a, a guide in some way. And would you say that that person's connection to that land is important also? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Wonderful. All right, Jana, this is a good place for us to stop our first interview. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about what led you to India and a little bit more about the work that you do one-on-one -on -one as well. So, Jana Johnson, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. This has been Healing and Spirituality in World Cultures with Robert Vetter. Thanks for listening. Please rate, subscribe, and share with everyone you know who might benefit from these messages. Until next time, remember, be kind and loving to yourself and others. Together, we can heal ourselves and help build a better world.